0: This podcast is brought to you by the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Just About Work, where we talk about everything that might have an impact on your career. I'm your host, Bev Jones. I'm an executive coach and the author of Find Your Happy at Work. Our guest today, Mark Miller, is a well-known author and journalist. He writes for places like the New York Times, Reuters, and Wealth Management Magazine. And Mark is a leading expert on retirement and aging. His latest book is Retirement Reboot, Common Sense Financial Strategies for Getting Back on Track. It's a terrific guide if you want to plan for a secure and rewarding lifestyle after you finish your primary career. The book is aimed particularly at people in their 50s who don't have the money they'll need in the future, but as we'll discuss here, it's never too early to lay groundwork for later in life, and Mark will share great tips on how you can do that. Mark, welcome to Jazzed About Work. Uh, We're just so happy to have you here. You have lots of good information for us, particularly from your new book, Retirement Reboot. It's a great guide for people who are thinking about a secure and rewarding retirement. But before we get into all that nitty gritty, I'd like to hear a little bit about what you're doing these days. Could you tell us a bit about how your career brought you to focusing so much on on retirement and aging and what you're doing these days?
0: Well, thanks, Bev. And thank you so much for inviting me on the program. I really appreciate it. Um, Yeah, I've been covering, writing about retirement for about the last 15 years. My broader background in journalism, a lot of it was in business and financial news. But um, I first got interested in the retirement space, actually, when I was in sort of my, I think, early to mid-50s, and I started noticing, number one, that I was starting to think about this question of planning for retirement. And then I also noticed that a lot of my friends were starting to ask questions and talk about it. Not so much in the sense of just retiring and, and hanging it up, but sort of a, Oh my gosh, you know, my mid sixties are right around the corner. What am I going to do at that point? Do I, I want to just retire? Do I want to do something different? It was sort of that notion of second careers, uh, alternative careers, encores, all that. And I just started thinking to myself, huh, this is a, uh, a fascinating topic. So I, it started with a kind of a personal curiosity. At the time, I was working for a Tribune company in the, in the here in Chicago, uh, publisher of the Chicago Tribune. And I worked for a division that was doing work on new product work. And I was tasked with, at the time, with looking for some new ideas. And I pitched this idea of doing a magazine and website uh, about kind of midlife transition, retirement and the like. And uh, the company... Bought the idea and we launched a magazine, and website uh, that borrowed the uh, name of the Rolling Stones song, Satisfaction. It was all about satisfaction. So magazine only lasted a few years, but um, I had sort of been bit by the bug. I was just fascinated with the topic and decided to kind of keep rolling with it on my own. So I became an independent journalist at that point, started developing, um, you know, I guess the niche, if you will. Uh, as an independent writer, covering really all aspects of retirement. So I've been up to that uh, that work for about the last 15 years now.
1: Well, I know that uh, kind of in the business of career and finance and uh, all of those sorts of issues, you are the guy on retirement and aging issues, particularly uh, planning and financial aspects of preparing for the future. So we're really excited to, to have you here.
0: Well, thank you very the, much.
1: The, the state of retirement in general in the United States, to me, feels like kind of a mess. There are new opportunities, but there's so many challenges and people have vague ideas about it. How, how would you describe the, the state of retirement in the U.S. these days? What's, it, what's the picture?
0: So it is complex. I think we don't really have a system, one system for retirement in the United States. We have kind of a patchwork of systems that some work better than others. Uh, They don't necessarily uh, talk to one another. And I think the general headline is that the shift that we've seen over the last four decades, really, uh, kind of away from the older, I'll call it more paternalistic system of defined benefit pensions, meaning that the employer sponsored the pension plan, you worked uh, and earned, earned credits, didn't have to really think much about it, then started re- receiving a, a, a payment in retirement that, that was a guaranteed lifetime income stream. The transition from that to the more the defined contribution world we live in now, meaning 401ks, IRAs and the like, where um, we're all in the driver's seat, if you will. Uh, that, that system, and then it comes with with tax incentives, that system has worked really well for perhaps a third to 40% of households, and it has not worked at all really for the other 60%. Uh, who, You know, you look at the data on saving for retirement, and you can see that all the accumulations are kind of in that upper third of households. When you look at households that are getting close to retirement age, meaning say 55 to 65 you can see this that the the Federal Reserve data on this shows that those households the the average amount saved for retirement is about one hundred and forty thousand dollars, and that's not going to last you very long in retirement. And the picture is even worse when you break it out into different income bands. So you look at sort of the the, the quintile analysis. You know, break it out into five different bands, and you can see that all the accumulation is in the top two bands. And that once you drop down below that, the accumulations are really small. So even that 140,000 figure is sort of skewed by the fact that all these, this accumulation is going on uh, in the upper bands. So there's that. And then we've also put a lot, in addition to the shifting the risk, if you will, from employers to workers, We've also shifted the responsibility for navigating all these rather complex systems. Uh, there's, I write in the book that complexity is the enemy uh, because we do put the onus on the individual to do things like figuring out uh, the complexities of Medicare coverage, for example, or figuring out uh, a plan for saving and retirement. And even more complicated than the saving side would be um, figuring out how you're going to actually draw money down in retirement and having an approach for that um social security claiming can present some complexities you know so it just goes kind of on and on and um that's the state of things it's not you know it's working fine i'd think for some people not for others so the reason i wanted to write this book was for that 60 percent. this is the book that is aiming to because there's a lot of discussion about this question sort of in retirement policy circles this is the discussion of the so-called retirement crisis is there one is there not one and you can go back and forth about that. I think generally speaking, as I've just said, for a lot of people, there are going to be a lot of problems. But what you don't see as much of is personal finance journalism aimed for that 60%. You know, the, I think this field of personal finance journalism in many respects, we've got it upside down. So much of what's written is about investing and Wall Street and stocks and mutual funds and like, and that's fine. That's important for people who are... Engaged in that, but what about those those lower three quintiles? That's where I'm focused. So, and I've always had a very holistic focus on the way I think about and write about retirement. So, investing actually is a relatively small part of what I do. I do a lot on Social Security and Medicare, um, career, housing, healthcare, et cetera.
1: Well, I want to get into all of those um, kind of complicated topics that you just mentioned. But before we do that, um, one thing I want to ask you about, I I, I suspect that people who are in their 50s now had parents who had an old-fashioned retirement plan. In other words, uh, their employers would take care of it. And so a lot of 50-year-olds maybe didn't worry early because they were seeing their parents have a pension of some sort. And and now that just, as you said, it's it's very few people can count on that. Uh, it seems to me that we, the younger folks, need to learn from the people who are in their 50s and even 60s who are just grappling with it now. And my thinking is that it's never too early now for, for people to start thinking about the kind of habits that will help them in the future. Would you agree with that? Am I just overly worried about... Uh, younger professionals and workers of all sorts?
0: Well, with res- I, I want to address the question of younger professionals in a minute. Let me just clarify one thing about defined benefit pensions. There, There's still lots of people who have defined benefit pensions or have them coming. Uh, DB pensions are still dominant in the public sector, sort of state and, and local jobs. And even in the private sector, although the percentage of corporations that are actively contributing to a db plan or is diminished greatly there's you know they don't just disappear when a a db plan is frozen there's still people who can expect a benefit and are receiving benefits so i actually have a detailed chapter in the book about how to manage a defined benefit pension for that reason but to your question about younger people um there's no question that getting an early start is hugely beneficial even if you can only contribute small amounts because you have time on your side. You've got the ability to see those those investments compound over the years. And that's very, very powerful. So that's a very powerful thing. My my own observation about younger people is that I think they're they're very engaged with this topic. I, I find that uh, people in their 20s and 30s when I I actually did a podcast uh, late last year uh, that was titled I answer my kids questions about retirement because i um, a couple of my nieces and uh, and kids were saying, when, the, when my, the book was published, say, well, why don't we do something where you can answer our questions? So I said, great, let's do that. And so then that kind of reverberated around among their friends and, and their friends. And I think we're actually going to do some follow-up, maybe a Zoom or something. But I think they're acutely aware of the need to figure out how to save. Depending on their financial situation, it may be really tough to do, uh, you know, Housing is expensive, in particular in big cities these days. A lot of them are grappling with student debt. Um, just meeting the, the cost, the, the various other financial pressures may not bring retirement saving to the top of the list. And I say to them that if you, in fact, are carrying expensive debt, um, student debt, credit card debt, I would not put the first available dollar into a retirement account. I would use it to reduce that debt. And, and you need to have some liquid emergency savings available for a rainy day. You know, typically the rule of thumb is three to six months. That's important because that's what can help you avoid building up those credit card balances. And I think, you know, young people are concerned, I would have to say rightly so, about the future of Social Security. And we should probably talk about that a little bit as well
1: yeah i i think you're right about um how there are some young people who are very concerned. I've been sort of intrigued by uh the trend of of some people doing extraordinary steps to save money and to live very mm-hmm. uh simply yes. but the still fire it's, it's you, yeah but but so many people um are not focused yet. So I think that's why the kind of thing you're doing is so helpful. And I'm really glad that you're focusing on uh, some younger people and you're getting a, a good response. So so let's um, dig into uh, some of the uh, details you talk about in the book. I, I like the way you set it up with uh, kind of Six key sets of of action steps. It's you kind of broke it into nice pieces so that people can focus topic by topic, and it's it's really clear. Can could we just talk through those six areas and sure. kind of give the absolute basics? I, I think the first one was making a plan.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think even though I've I've set this up and said to you that the the target reader of the book is that sixty percent who have not saved, I, I would say that many of these six steps are going to be of interest to people up and down the income spectrum, in fact, for reasons that I think will be clear. And so, you know, the the first six chapters are these series of six, I call them levers, that are available to people uh, that can help improve retirement outcomes. And I'm just measuring outcomes as how much pre-retirement income will you be able to replace? In other words, can you maintain your standard of living in retirement? And not every one of these levers will be pulled by every reader. It's a series of options. Some are more important, more universal, let's say, than others. But here's here's what the six are. The first one is making a plan just um, too far. Too many people have not taken the time to actually do the basic analysis. What what kind of income can they expect? Uh, When do they plan to retire? Uh, How much money will be coming in from Social Security and other sources of income? And how does that match up against against um, your expenses. So it's important to do that. And there's a variety of ways to do it. I explore those both in that chapter. And then later in the book, there's a chapter about how to get advice, and why getting advice is can be so important. Uh, The second lever is just timing. Um, I think, you know, we've all heard the mantra about the importance of working longer and the like. Um, But I think what I wanted to do is illustrate just how incredibly sensitive a retirement plan is to timing. And just even a few years of additional work can be so important, because it can help you uh, push off a social security f- claim claim and boost your benefits that way It can give you an opportunity to save more. And it's, you know, fewer net years you're going to be financing out of in retirement versus work. So there's a whole sure. chapter that runs through illustrations, hypothetical illustrations of how that works.
1: So the good news, in a way, is that there are more opportunities than there were um, decades ago. In the sense that it's not that you have one job, then yeah. you quit, and you start taking retire money out, and that's it. There, there's so many possibilities now for people to do something like you and I have done, which is to to leave corporate jobs and then start uh, our own. Um, Entrepreneurial activities, so that we can kind of phase down a little bit. That's that's one possibility. Certainly not for everybody, but when we're when you say retirement, we, what you're talking about is um, not. Necessarily, the end of you know your primary career. It's the time you start taking money out. Is that correct? The time, yeah, you it's start? That,
0: I'm, in the most basic sense. It's the financial transition from living on wage income to living on retirement resources. And I definitely agree that when we talk about timing and leaving work, there's a myriad of of in between things there. Whether that's an entrepreneurial move or part time work, you know, particularly in the post-pandemic environment where there's a lot more remote work opportunities. You know, I think people are finding ways to earn wage income that may not necessarily be full-time uh, jobs. So, And the other point to make about timing is that for married couples, it's rare actually that uh, pe- both spouses retire at the same time. Typically, it's you know an asynchronous retirement, as one researcher puts it, which also can be very beneficial if there's sort of more of a glide path to that financial transition. So yes, there's a variety of gradations there. Um, The the third lever is optimizing Social Security, which I've touched on a little bit. And I illustrate in this chapter the various ways to boost um, monthly or annual benefits through delayed claiming. And I'm trying to illustrate here just how important that can be. I think the message about that has been getting through to people to an extent. The data uh, that I look at tells me that You know, fewer people are claiming at the earliest age now, which is 62. Most people are still claiming by what's called the full retirement age, which right now is 66 in a few months, generally speaking. Very few people are claiming at the later ages, 68, 69, 70, which is where you get the really the biggest, most dramatic boost in uh, in your annual income. So just trying to illustrate that and what an important option this can be. the fourth lever is navigating Medicare and making smart choices about how you initially enroll for Medicare and then what you need to do to manage Medicare as you move down the path. So important, you know, health, health, the expense of health uh, care in retirement is a, a major component of what you're going to spend. And Medicare, unfortunately, has become very complicated, uh, unnecessarily so, I would say, but that's what we have. And so I have a very detailed chapter about how to navigate Medicare. And I think the um, the Social Security and Medicare chapters are a good example of what I'm saying about chapters that will be of interest and useful to just about any reader, as opposed to just you know more of this core target reader that I've described, the people who have not been able to save. Uh, fifth lever is, in fact, building savings, uh, because I'm making the point here that even with a late start, it's possible to build a uh, meaningful balances, especially if you consider that the goal line is not the day you retire necessarily, but you know, continuing on into retirement. And I lay out a pretty simple approach here because I think this investing for retirement can be intimidating. It's another area where the choices are complex or they seem complex.
1: Can, can you and, tell us a little bit about the, um, st- status of 401ks now? There have been some changes. It, there's a little more flexibility now, isn't there? Or what, what is the status of 401ks today?
0: Well, I guess I'd say the good news in general about saving for retirement, whether it's in a 401k or an IRA, is in the last couple of decades, we've had a real revolution in um, in the investment choices and the cost of saving for retirement's come down quite a bit because of the the so-called passive investing revolution, you know, it's investing in the total market, you know, index funds, index mutual funds, exchange traded funds brought the the fees have come down dramatically, which is so important because it's the amount of money that's left in your pocket rather than the investment companies. And I think fees are not well understood as a, as a component of success. You know, when people look at, first of all, in a 401k plan, it's difficult sometimes to really understand what the total expenses are. They tend to be pretty low uh, when the plan sponsor is a large company and they tend to be higher uh, for smaller employ among smaller employers and, and the investment choices tend to be me- more mediocre. But I think people look at these expenses and say, Oh, they're only going to charge me. Um, I don't know. Ha- half of, you know, five, tenth- one half of a percentage point is going to be the, point that the amount that's going to be levied against my balance, that doesn't sound like much. But when you do the math and understand that that's gonna be levied, levied, you know, year after year, as your balance grows, it's a lot of money. So it's very important to understand the importance of low cost, simple investing. And that's what I'm laying out in that chapter. Um, if you're going to have a simple approach, I just basically say, Look, do it this way. <laughs> um, and the sixth and last lever is home equity. You know, for most middle-class households, the most important source of saving is the equity that's been built up in your home. About three quarters of people over age 60 do, in fact, own a home. It's the high, you know one of the highest percentages among all age groups. And so I get into in that chapter about different ways that you can uh, tap home equity in retirement if you need to.
1: Could you talk a little bit about reverse mortgages and uh, whether they're a safe bet for people who who need the cash?
0: It's not my favorite choice. Um, In that chapter, I first am laying out options for possible ways to downsize and move and do more of a simple extraction of equity that way. But for people who are dead set on staying in place, you know, reverse mortgage, I will say, is a complicated product that has uh, become safer over the years due to tighter regulation. it's actually not a very popular product. I think the amount of new originations of these loans has been falling pretty steadily, but since it's out there, I kind of felt an obligation to walk through how they work in the chapter. And I do that in some detail. They typically done are done these days as a, basically like a line of credit where you can you know draw against the equity in your home to meet uh, expenses as you need. The fees can be pretty high too. So I, I'm not a huge fan of reverse mortgages, but I thought, considering the target reader here, and that there are some people who are just kind of dead set against moving, uh, it would be worth exploring. There's a, you know, housing, it's home equity is different than any of these other asset types we're talking about here. Because, you know, they're not as liquid, generally speaking, and it's, it's wrapped up in all kinds of lifestyle and life choice considerations. So not the simplest. uh, And I also have detailed chapters in the book that look at questions like, uh, aging in place and what does that mean, and uh, how to deal with a long-term care risk is you. So the whole question of aging and housing is about a lot more than just home equity. But from a straightforward financial standpoint, uh, you know, I wanted to get into home equity as a question.
1: I think it's it's important. We need to know all of the options, uh, and we need to have help in uh, understanding them. I, again, your book is so great with this, but I, I love that you talked about the importance uh, of uh, assistance when you um, you mentioned you had a, a chapter on getting advice. And so you said that although, you know, you have a lot of expertise when it comes to deciding where to put your money and things like that, you still use an advisor because it's really hard to put all the pieces together. And there's a, a lot of, uh, people make a lot of mistakes. My my question is, if people want advice, let's say they're just starting to save or they're at the other extreme and they're just at the brink of retiring, are there places they can go if they're not really wealthy, they're not kind of, they don't have um, brokerage firms chasing them for their business, but they really want good advice, what can they do?
0: Right. Well, first I just mentioned that that chapter was excerpted in the Sunday New York Times in early January. So for, for listeners who want to know a little bit more about that, that's a good starting place. But of course, I hope they'll read the book as well. But yes. check out the excerpt that ran in the Times. And, you know, there's been over the last, this is another, I think, bit of good news on the retirement landscape. Over the last couple of decades, there's been sort of what I'll call a small D democratization of uh, financial planning advice. You know, it used to be kind of known as kind of the wealth management field, and that's still a, a phrase out there, uh, meaning that this was these were services only available to the very affluent. But a lot more uh, lower cost options are out there these days. We either, either online services, the so-called robo-advisory software platforms for people who kind of want to take a do-it-yourself approach, but get the benefit of you know, software and technology to hybrid options that rely on technology, but there's also a human component. And then you can also hire financial planners on, you know, on just on a fee basis to just do a plan for you. It's almost like a financial checkup. Um, and then, you know, you can go off and execute that yourself. So it is possible to get help on a low cost basis. The, the unfortunate part here is that this is another area where there's a lot of complexity, uh, the regulatory landscape is such that there's all kinds of people out there who can hang up a shingle, calling themselves a financial advisor. But what, I, what I'm what i explaining in this chapter is what you really need is somebody who is a fiduciary advisor, meaning that they are acting as a fiduciary in all cases when they are dealing with you and your money. And what that simply means is they are legally obligated to push your interests first. I think a lot of people are surprised to hear this, that, a lot of people who call themselves advisors, their, their first loyalty may be to uh, commit, generating commissions or yeah. meeting sales goals of the organization they work for. So you need a fiduciary advisor. So I'm laying all that out in the chapter. Um, my wife and I've used the planner, actually, ever since I did my first book, uh, The Hard Times Guide to Retirement Security, and which was published in 2010. And I had a chapter in that book about how to hire a planner how to hire a financial advisor. And after I drafted that chapter, I said to my wife, you know, I think we need one of these people. <laughs> and we did, in fact, hire a fiduciary only, fee only um, registered investment advisor. And we've had that relationship for a long time. And it's, it's a great, very helpful relationship. I think, let me just tie that also back to um, the decline in the cost of investing. So if you're using this very low cost, passive investing approach, which is what I'm recommending, um, you've kind of created room there, if I could put it that way, for some to layer in some amount of additional cost for some financial planning help and your 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 costs probably still going to be lower than it would have been under the kind of the old higher cost model. So the what we're seeing is that the investing part is sort of becoming commoditized. You know you say kind of a set it and forget it approach. And I'm going to contribute X on an automatic basis every month to to my account. Yeah, and I'm going to I'm going to rebalance it every so often. Um, but the value add is the kind of a more holistic advice that you can get from advisors. And I think another really great benefit of having a financial planner is having a a partner outside the household that you can turn to. Uh, you know, for for married couples, it's typically the case that one spouse kind of takes care of this stuff, and the other maybe does not. Very often, I don't want to be generalized, but very often it's the man. Um, men not tend in my to live family, shorter. I will
1: say, yeah, that's why I say it's not. You know,
0: you can't over generalize. But my point is, if whoever is doing that financial management is the first to die, then the other spouse can be kind of left at sea. Well, if there's a yeah. trusted financial planner also on the scene. That's great in terms of the transition. The other thing that's great about having a planner is that, you know, it's well documented that we all experience some degree of cognitive decline as we age. As a, one of my uh, experts that I talked about this stuff says, it's that we 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 won't all lose all of our marbles, but we'll all lose a marble or two, and um, that means that our ability to make good financial decisions can also decline with age. And the really scary thing about this is that. The research tells us that as we experience cognitive decline, we actually it, it, our confidence in our financial decision-making ability moves inversely to the decline. So oh, as scary. we decline, we actually tend to think that we're more capable. So again, having sort of a trusted advisor on the scene to provide a backstop and a check can be really helpful.
1: Yeah. Well, you have so much helpful advice here. Um, I, I want to. Sadly, we're running out of time, but I want to uh, repeat the name of the book. The The full title is Retirement Reboot, Common Sense Financial Strategies for Getting Back on Track. And you have um, other ways that people can reach you. you uh, can you share where they might find more of your information? Where can they sure. look you up?
0: The easiest way would be to visit my website, which is retirementrevised.com. And from there, you'll see information about the book, but also a link to, I do a pretty regular free email newsletter. It usually comes out two or three times a month containing links to my latest articles. I do a podcast periodically there that is also linked up in the newsletter. So I would say visit the website and I hope you'll sign up for the, the free newsletter there.
1: And uh, again, I recommend the book. It's a great way to kind of take um, a methodical, informed approach to preparing for the future. Mark, thank you so much for sharing all these tips today. It's great talking with you again. And uh, I wish you well with this wonderful book.
0: Great talking with you, Bev. And thanks again for inviting me. I appreciate it.
1: Today we've been talking with Mark Miller about how to prepare for a rewarding and secure retirement. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our audio engineer. I'm your host, Beverly Jones, author of Find Your Happy at Work, and our sponsor is the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Service at Ohio University. Today's tip is that it's never too early to save for the future. Even if you're short of cash, it's smart to build a habit of regularly putting aside a tiny bit of money. Thanks for listening to Jazzed About Work. And if you have suggestions for us, please get in touch with me at Beverlyejonesme.com